Well, good morning. Hey, well, David, hey, I, quick question. What do you think about you know, all the pastors gone up to Hilton Head except you and me? I mean, I was a little bit jealous, but, you know, obviously what happened in the staff meeting uh, when we talked about it, they, they said we, we need to make sure that we leave two pastors behind to hold the fort, and it has to be the ones who have the perfect marriages. So <laughs> that they, they chose you and me. That, right, that's right, just right, the way right. it works. I would agree with you, except my wife is in this service. So, <laughs> uh, But I've been praying for them, too, over there in Hilton Head, that whole marriage conference. been praying for them all weekend, too. That's why that cold front went through Hilton Head last night. <laughs> you can just pack that swimsuit right now. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I am actually glad to be here, glad to have this opportunity to preach. And the question I have for you is very simple. What is your net worth? You can just yell it out to me right now. What is your net worth? The truth is, most of you don't know. But every financial advisor would tell you that you should know your net worth. It's important for you to be able to financially plan and do all that stuff. Now, I can tell you that I can, uh, I can figure out my net worth because I've got 10 fingers and I can count it right up. Yes, sir. But you know someone who has the greatest net worth on the planet Earth? Jeff Bezos. Or is it Bezos? I don't know. Tomato, tomato. I have no clue. But that dude has more net worth than any person on planet earth. I shared this at House of Prayer a couple of weeks ago, but it just so fascinated me when we came to this subject. Let me tell you just how much money this dude has. He is worth about $78.5 billion. Can you imagine that? Now, I can't wrap my mind around that. Neither can you probably. So I, let, me, let me bring it down to where maybe we can understand it better. He earns about $6.54 billion a month. That's still hard to grasp, isn't it? Let's bring it down to a week. $1.5 billion a week. Let's just bring it down to the lowest common denominator so we really know. This dude earns $2,489 per second. That's what I'm telling you. I mean, literally, if this dude was walking down the sidewalk and a crisp, clean $100 bill came floating down and landed down in front of him on the sidewalk, it would not be worth his time to pick it up. He said, that'd take me three seconds. That'd be $6,000 wasted right there. You know, if he was a country, if Jeff Bezos was a country, he would be the 39th wealthiest country on earth. Wouldn't you like to try that out just for a little while? But when we look at things like net worth, those are the things we're looking at, right? How big is your bank account? What do you have in all those IRAs and, and uh, KEO plans, all these other different things? What do you have in there? That's what we look at. We look at how big is your house. You know, that, that will tell us a little bit about your net worth, how big your home is. Or what, how nice is the car you drive? All these things, they, they have, uh, they give us value is what happens. We think they, they, we think they do. And they give us worth. And I, can, I tell you, I can feel it. I can remember 
Back when I worked at Burger King, these were years ago. Then I'll tell you something about my net worth right there, right? <laughs> Burger King. Yeah. But in any case, the, I'm proud of that one. But anyway, the, um, if you work at Burger King, I understand. I just want you to know. But, the, uh, but one day, the owner of the Burger Kings, um, he had just bought a brand new red Corvette. Model year. Brand new. And uh, he was going through midlife crisis. I don't know why. But he had this thing. And one day, about six months after he bought it, I mean, unimaginable, comes to me, says, Steve, I need to borrow your minivan to haul some stuff. Would you mind driving my Corvette? I kid you not. I was like, what? <laughs> Take all the time you need. I'm good. And it was a Wednesday when he gave it to me. So Wednesday night, this is back when we were at the other campus over there, Wednesday night, I come tooling into church in a model year red Corvette. And, buddy, I want you to know the windows were down. <laughs> I wanted them to see me, you know. I'm driving by, Chairman of Deacon's like, <laughs> doing all that. I mean, it was just, it's one of those things, when you have a brand new red Corvette, you know what you do? You drive the speed limit. Because everybody behind you knows you can go faster than they can, right? <laughs> so anyway, I had this thing. And, and, that, and God has a way of, of showing us. So these things that you value, they're not that valuable, really. And I can remember that night, me and my wife, we had outreach on that night where we would go visit people who had visited our church. And, uh, and so we, had, we were going to visit. This guy was a CIU student, you know, CIU, Columbia International University. He was a CIU student, and he was staying in some of their student housing, which was a trailer park, really. And so he was staying there. So Karen and I go, my wife, we go up there, and we knock on the door. He answers the door. We come in, and uh, we're talking to him about church. He says, I like church. He goes, yeah, but I don't think I'll come back. He goes, well, at that time we had this thing we called a CFC, Christian Fellowship Center. Had a gym and everything. He goes, he goes I think that uh, that's too exorbitant. You spend money on that type of thing. And uh, I go, no, no, no. We have upward basketball. People come to Christ. We share devotions. I went through all the stuff, how God is using this as a ministry to reach people. He said, well, uh, I'll pray about it. So we got to leave. He walked us out the door to my brand new red Corvette. I looked at my wife and said, he is not coming back to Northside. <laughs> but the feeling, I can tell you, it was a palpable feeling I had driving that Corvette. I'm serious. It, it has this, the world has this draw to you. Now, later in life, I got a red Saturn. <laughs> The guy was selling it for $1,100 until my wife negotiated him up to $1,200. But in any case, <laughs> the, uh, it was a completely different experience. But what I wanted to say is, you understand how these things have a draw on you. You know, If someone came to our parking lot right now, drove in in an AMC Gremlin, if you remember that, or Pinto, or the Datsun B210, you know, we would be like, ooh, you know. <laughs> However, if someone comes driving in in a Lexus, and it's cool outside, so they got the top down, and they come tooling in in that Lexus convertible, what are we going to think? We're going to think a totally different thing. But you know what? We could be completely wrong. Completely wrong. But that's what the world puts values on, and the 
the real temptation is for you to put the same value. So when I ask what your net worth is, you have this pull, this draw from the world. But it's not just material things. Oh, no, it is not just material things. Because we build our value. Then the world really tempts us this way. It draws us this way. But we put our value on other things that aren't just financial, like, uh, uh, like beauty. Yeah? We want to be like, you know, drop-dead gorgeous. You know, not just uh, presentable. In fact, that would be an insult. If I came up to one of you women and said, wow, you really look presentable today. <laughs> yeah. Whap. <laughs> no, but I mean it. Whap. <laughs> no, man, you got to look beautiful. You know, men, they got to be like, my uh, kids bought me a shirt one time. Uh, and it just kind of gives the idea of what these worldly values are. But the, the shirt said, the cops pulled me over for carrying these guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone in my family thought that was funny. But the fact is, that's how we value manhood. That's how we value womanhood. It's on these types of things. But not just that. I mean, quite honestly, you know, how you did in sports. You know, rarely does anyone say, you know, I, I played football in high school, but I really stunk. I sat at the bench the whole time. No one says that because they just don't bring it up if that's the truth. Yeah? But how you did in sports, yeah. How you do in business, um, how you do in hobbies, all these different things. We, we, we lift these up as values, and, and it's got to be super successful. You know, what, what position have you achieved at work? I mean, the truth is we make fun of the fact that I worked at Burger King, and I do it all the time. It's okay. I'm not, my feelings aren't hurt. Badly. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> but the fact is, we make value judgments. You got the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, or you got the fry cook at Burger King. Which one has more value? And you see how the world tempts us to think these different ways. Well, Paul is in this world. Now, different cultures, you know, have, they put different values on things. Like for us, it's like, you know, who's the, the best in football? That's kind of the best thing, you know, like, like uh, the college football. South Carolina beat Vanderbilt, so we know who the biggest loser is now. It's Vanderbilt. But anyway, the, uh, but we're always, uh, we're always putting this value on these things. But in, like in India, they don't care about football. It's who's the best cricket team. It's, it's, these different cultures have different values. And, and Paul is beginning to, what he does is he says, this is my value in this culture, in this Hebrew culture. And the reason I preface this is because it may not mean much to you, but it was huge to those people that he lived with, the Jews. This was huge. And Paul was kind of the Jeff Bezos of, of Israel. He was up and coming. So this is what he says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 4. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far, far more. Now, here, here's he talks about his values. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. That's a big one. He couldn't even be a part of that culture without that. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, he knew his tribe. 
That was huge. Not every Jew knew the tribe they were from. He knew his tribe, and he was from a, a wonderful tribe, this tribe of Benjamin. Then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, there are Jews, but I am a Hebrew. I am more patriotic. I am the example, the example to rest of the Jews as to the law of Pharisee. Now, you have to understand there was a limited number of Pharisees. There were only several hundred Pharisees that, that could be around. He had entered that group. He was one of them. He was on the in crowd. He was in the elite status. So that's what I want you to understand. This has high value. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, the Pharisees, the Jews hated the church. And he didn't just, he didn't just uh, say things about the church. He put feet to his words actions and he went after the church persecuting them and this raised his value in fact he could find an audience with the high priest when he wanted to the numero uno guy like walking into the president's office just coming right in there he had that type of net worth that type of value and then finally, this last thing is, um, is really incredible. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. They couldn't, they couldn't find where he had broken the law. I mean, wow. I mean, you could see Paul, you know, this rising star. I mean, he was being introduced, let's say, to a, to a synagogue or to in the temple. As I'd like to introduce to you someone. I know many of you know, but he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He knows his tribe. He is from Benjamin. This man is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only that, he is a Pharisee, that Pharisee who has gone after this cult, the church of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, this man, as far as we know, have ne has never sinned. Let's give it up for Paul. And they, whoo. And they all clap and everything. And then he'd get up. Well, I, you know what I'd like to I'd like to hear one time. You know, someone could introduce me like this. They say, This morning we have Steve. He's really not that good of a speaker. In fact, he graduated from Luther Rice Bible College, but just barely. <laughs> On his third try. <laughs> But he's here to speak this morning. Would you all give him a round of applause? Yeah. You are the only ones that did that. So anyway. <laughs> but you see what I mean? What we do when we introduce somebody is we take all the worldly stuff that they've done, for the most part, and say, this is them. And the truth is, is that any value? Is it truly any value? Well, something happened to Paul's portfolio. Uh, we don't have time to turn back there, so I'm going to just give you the Reader's Digest condensed version of it. But something happened to Paul that completely changed his portfolio. He was, he'd gone to the high priest and uh, gotten author authority to go to a place called Damascus, where he was going to arrest men and women, moms and dads. He was going to take them, bind them, and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial, maybe to be executed, but certainly to suffer, to be put in prison. He was going there to arrest them. 
when he gets introduced to Jesus Christ. This one that he really, he had heard about, but he didn't know. And when that happened, that event completely changed Paul's portfolio. Listen to what he says in verses 7 through 9 or through 8. He says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, all this stuff I had, okay, I mean, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, all of those things. He goes, I count those as loss for the sake of Christ. They are nothing to me. They're like a negative value. They mean nothing to me for the sake of Christ. But you think, well, how about all the other stuff? What about the money in his account? What about all that other stuff that he had being a wealthy Jew? So he goes on. More than that, I count all things. You get that? Underline that word all. Think about it. All things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, trash. Some of your translations will say dung, so that I may gain Christ. What happened with Paul? Well, he saw the value of Christ. He saw the value of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And that changed everything for him. For him, at that moment, it was a relationship with Jesus Christ that meant more than anything else. Oh man, to know Jesus? Man, that's that's better than being a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's better than being a Pharisee. To simply know him. How awesome is that? He was completely changed. And his, listen, his value system completely changed. You know, our value systems, they go through changes all the time, don't they? I mean, something becomes important to us and then something else becomes important to us. And I remember when I was in high school, I'm, I was like a I was going to be a scientist, you know. I was going to be like another Einstein or something. But in any case, the, uh, how many of y'all know what this is? How, how many of you think this is a ruler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know your age. Anyway, yeah, this is a slide rule. Can you believe that? I still have this, but it's very important to me. It has lots of value. This thing you moves around, you know, and it has this cursor. You know, you can go like eh, two times three equals six. There you go. You can do things like that on a slide rule. Now, since I was a scientist, or hoping to be one, the, uh, our school had a competition. It was, get this, I'm not kidding you, a slide rule competition. And so I entered it. And what they do is they have this paper, and they have all these problems, and you do your slide rule, and you move it, and you, and you get the answers, you run down, and, you're like, and you get timed and everything, you turn it in, and then uh, you get placed. And I entered that competition because I wanted to... I wanted to do well. And guess what? When they announced the results, when they announced the results, I got the third place medal. 
stop it, stop it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the other people who didn't meddle, I was like, I had my slide rule. I'm like, not in my house, man. No, not with my slide rule. I got you. You know, it was a big deal. It really added value to me. You know, it doesn't really add that much value to me now. But winning third place in the slide rule competition was a huge deal. And then it changes, and our values change. What becomes important to us changes. But what Paul said, that's why he said, I count all things to be lost. Did you hear that? All things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. The surpassing value. Do you get that? I mean, way more. $78 billion? Paul would say, chump change. It's nothing. I know Christ. That's really what God has been saying to us all the time. You read this book right here. You read the Bible. You know what it talks about over and over and over again is God saying, know me. I'm here. I'm pursuing you. And yet we let slide rules take our attention off of him. Or whatever it happens to be in your life. Oh, you know, the, you know how it all began in Genesis. You know, God created Adam and Eve. And what was he doing? He was walking in the cool of the garden with them, right? Walking and talking with them. They had a relationship. God loved that. That's what he wanted. <laughs> That's what's so amazing. He wants that. And then, of course, sin comes in. And what does it do? It severs that relationship. So that no longer is that relationship there. In fact, we become enemies of God. We have rebelled against him. We have followed his arch enemy, his greatest enemy, Satan. We have followed him and become his enemy. But incredibly, he continues to pursue us. He wants that relationship with us. Even though we become his enemies, he wants us and he pursues us. Have you ever thought about this? We sing about the grace of God and amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But do you know how privileged you are to have that? Who else has God shown his grace to but you? But mankind... The angels, when they rebelled, there was no grace there. There was judgment, and it was immediate. But for you, men and women, that he has created in his image, he pours out his grace to you, and he says, know me, know me. In Jeremiah chapter 9, it talks about how important this is. And the, he says, Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. Now get this. He gets his values right here. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Okay, so don't boast in your degrees. Don't boast in your titles. I mean, you can call me doctor. I mean, no, no, it means nothing up there, nothing. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to be a doctor or a master's or whatever other type of degrees. That's not the point. It's the value I'm talking about. He says, let not a wise man boast about his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Don't, you know, all those sports trophies, all that, they're not that important. Let not a rich man, he says, boast of his riches. Jeff 
Bezos has nothing to boast about. But he says this. This is what God says. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Did you catch that? That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight. He delights in you knowing him. Isn't that incredible? In fact, you all know the story of Mary and Martha, right? If not, you can go look in Luke chapter 10. But uh, Women really hate this story, but that's okay. But Martha and Mary have Jesus and all the disciples come into the house. And so Martha's getting everything ready and, uh, and making food and supper and all that stuff. And, and Jesus is teaching. And what's Mary doing? She's right there at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to him, hearing what he has to say. Well, Martha, and I, and I really got to read it to you because it's, it's, it's really good. Now, it says Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. I could just see her, can't you? She's in there with her rolling, but she's working. She's making the pizza, doing everything. She looks over there, Mary. She's working, working, Mary. And she just, she gets fed up. She just at it. She walks in there, rolling pin in her hand. She's ready to do some damage. Jesus, don't you care? I'm serving all by myself. Tell her to help me. Tell her to be as miserable as I am, please. But you notice, where was Martha getting her value? In her work. Work, 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 work. I'm the one to have value. I'm working, working, working. And that's where she gets her value. Now listen to Jesus' response to her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Did you get that? I want to rush over that. Only one thing is necessary. I don't know what you got going on in your life, but I can tell you this, 100% of you, only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. That good part is that relationship with Jesus Christ, being in his presence, hearing his words, speaking to him, fellowshipping with him, that is the good thing. That is the necessary thing. Jesus says it like this. He says, abide in me. In John 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. Do you get that? That, that is a close intimacy. We're talking about abiding with one another, dwelling with one another. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, will have fruit, will accomplish something of eternal significance. All this other stuff that you can accomplish, you have to ask yourself, does it have eternal significance? Will it matter two seconds after your death? Will it? Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, and this is in Revelation, okay? He, he has those seven letters, you know. If you haven't looked at Revelation, he, he gives out seven letters to seven different churches. And this is what he says to the church of Ephesus. You could almost call this the church of Martha. <laughs> but it says this. He goes, I know your deeds and your toil, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. 
You are working your tail off. It says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. What does I tell you about Jesus? What does he want from you more than anything else? He wants your love. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He wants your love. In fact, it's interesting. I don't have this in my notes, but in Revelation chapter 3, he's writing to another church. He wrote to Ephesus. He wrote to uh, Laodicea also. And, And Laodicea, they have done their own net worth appraisement. They've looked at their own value. And so Jesus goes over that with them. So first thing that you'll see is how they appraise themselves and then how Jesus appraises them. But it says, um, he says to them, I know your deeds, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then listen to this. Verse 17, he says, because you say, here's their evaluation, here's their appraisal of their net worth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's their appraisal. Now here comes Christ's appraisal. He says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, the danger is in this world with all its values and stuff that we're constantly being inundated with, we begin to think like the world. We begin to think, I've got value because i got a big house. i got value because i got a nice car. i got value because i got an education. And it's going to be a real shock when we appear before Christ, and that's not that important. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had just given the Sermon on the Mount. He's bringing that sermon to a close. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, all Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 is the last part of that sermon. That's where he's coming to the close. And this is what he says. Very interesting. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter it. In other words, not just because you talk, not just because you say stuff, say the right things, you know church talk, you know all that. that, That's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. And he says in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, again, Lord, Lord. And then it's like Jesus uses a hyperbole here, exaggeration. Like people who, who really, they, they were like the all-stars, okay? He says, that they say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Okay, they were prophesying, man. He says, and in your name cast out demons? I mean, we're talking all-stars, right? And in your name perform many miracles? I mean, this would be like someone today saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I... Uh, Create a church with 20 different satellites and didn't I preach to thousands? Like all of that means something. If not done in obedience to God, it means nothing. If not done knowing Christ, it means nothing. Because listen to what Jesus says to them. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them. Now listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What was the key thing there is that they knew him. I mean, the question for you is, 
do you know him? Hey, they knew about him. <laughs> they knew all about him. They, they said, Lord, Lord. They knew about him, but they did not know him. And that was the key. And that will be the key when we appear before him. Do we know him? You know, we talk about last words and how important they are. It literally chills my blood to think, listen, to think that there are some, and I, maybe some here, I don't know, there are some whose last words they will hear from Jesus Christ will be those words, depart from me. I never knew you. But according to God's word, those will be the last words that millions upon millions upon millions will hear. Yeah, the most important thing in our portfolio is do we know him? Now, when it comes to an appraisal in our lives, that final appraisal is the big one. That's the, that's the big one. You can appraise all you want right here, but there's coming a day when Jesus will do the appraisal. And let me tell you something. When it comes to him, he makes no mistakes. In fact, Paul talks about this a little bit in verses 17 through 19. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Okay, so he, what he's saying is, is I live my life for Christ in the power of Christ in an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. He says, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. That's their end. They're the ones who hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Their end is destruction, and it's an eternal destruction. How else do you recognize them? Whose God is their appetite. Now, he's not talking about their just food. Like their God is food, their God is a ribeye steak. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about their appetites. What's important in their lives is what they want. The center of their world is themselves. And that appetite, their desires are what's number one. Whose God is their appetite. And whose glory is in their shame. Those things right now that we glory in will be a shame in that day. That last appraisal, it will be a shame. Uh, Jeff Bezos will not be, listen, Jeff Bezos will not be able to say, hey, I had $78 billion. It will not make a stinking difference. These are the people who set their minds on earthly things. That's what it says who set their mind. Where's your mind set? That's what I want to, is your mind set on earthly things or is your mind set on knowing Christ? Look, when we come to that time of judgment, all the things that the world will say that, that's valuable about you, your education, uh, your, your uh, savings account, your bank account, your house, your car, your looks, your strength, all of that stuff, will be about as important as me winning third place in the district slide rule competition. It will mean nothing then. 
you may can walk with some pride now, but it will mean nothing then. And what God says to you, what the Lord says to you, is I want you to know me. That's what I want. That's the most important. That's the one thing that you need to know. Is that the most valuable part of your portfolio is do you know me? And how well do you know me? I didn't read this first, but Jesus, when he was speaking to that church of Laodicea, you know the ones who had their appraisement all messed up? This is the instruction he gives them in verse 20. Listen. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now you may be thinking, dine with him? Like eat with Jesus? Well, you have to understand that culture. If you wanted to get to know somebody, what did you do? You broke bread with them. You had a meal with them. I mean, we still do that today, but it's not as prevalent in our culture as it was then. If you wanted to know somebody, you broke bread with them. What Jesus is saying is, look, I'm at the door. The most important thing is that you know me, and I'm knocking. I'm even calling your name. I want to spend time with you. I want to break bread with you. But the thing is, how does that happen? It starts with you opening the door. Look, Jesus is not ever going to kick that door down. If you want to set your mind on earthly things, he is going to let that happen. He's going to call, and he's going to knock, and you know that knock. You probably know that call. But I am telling you this morning, that if you will open the door of your life, he will come into your life and he will break bread with you. He will fellowship with you. And that's what he wants. How did we get to know each other? Hey, we spend time with one another. Do you know why my wife knows me better than anyone else in here? That's right, she has spent the most time with me, more than anyone else how well did you know Jesus how much time do you spend with him is he knocking and calling at the door of your heart and life constantly and yet no one answers the door are you so consumed with the things of this world that you never hear him call your name and the most valuable thing in your portfolio needs to be, I know my Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Well, the truth is, there's a lot of you here, well, I don't know how a lot, but there's several of you probably here that know about Jesus, but you don't know him. That's, that's how I was, man. I knew about, I knew, listen, I knew Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I knew that he was buried. I knew that he rose again. In fact, one day, I even had a preacher come to my house, and he had me pray the sinner's prayer. And I said it word for word just like he said it, but just lost as a goose after that. Why? 
because I was more concerned about me. I was still, I never surrendered my life to him. I never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I never opened that door and said, take over. I want to know you. I was still concerned about me. My world revolved around me until that day that someone shared Jesus with me and I understood he's got to be the center. He has to be the center. Man, if you're not sure that you know Jesus Christ, look, this is not something where you play around. This is not something where you say, well, I think I'll be, I think I'll be okay. That didn't cut it. If you're not sure you know him, you need to get sure. If you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the most important thing you get fixed right now. The thing is, he's already fixed it. You just have to receive it. But will you? But will you? That's what it comes down to. Will you do it? This morning, you're not sure that you know Jesus Christ, that you actually have a relationship with him, but you'd like to. Then this is the morning for you. I'm going to pray a prayer with you, and these are not magic words. Like I said, I've prayed before, got up just as lost as I was. You have to say these words from your heart to God. But listen to me. God is pursuing you. You're here this morning. He's pursuing you. He wants you. He wants that relationship with you. And if that's your desire, well, we just simply need to let him know your desire, and we do that in prayer. So this morning, if you want to enter into a definitive relationship with Jesus Christ to know him, then I want you to pray with me. So I'd ask everybody, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you know that you know that you know that you're a believer, then I want you to pray for those who are not right now. But for those of you who aren't sure or you know you don't have a relationship with Christ, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you forgive me for all my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believed he was buried, and I believe he rose again the third day. But this morning, I want to turn away from all my sins. I want to turn completely to Jesus Christ, surrender my life to him. I want to open the door this morning and say, Jesus, come in. I want to know you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now let me just say, if you prayed that prayer from your heart to God, I promise you he heard that. All heaven's rejoicing right now. There is a party going on in heaven with your name on the banner. Because that's how much Jesus loves you. But look, you've, you've got to grow in Christ. There are some things that will help you in this relationship with Jesus Christ. We would like to help you, but we can't help you unless we know you've taken that step. So there's cards, connect cards in the back of the chairs. And look, you just take one out, fill that out, and drop it in one of those boxes at the back or give it to someone that... Uh, uh, that is at the welcome desk back there. You can give it to them. And we will call you. We will help you in this new walk with Jesus Christ in understanding how you can know him better. Now, for you who are believers, you're Christ, you know that you know Jesus Christ. I just want to leave you with a, with a message. 
Invest it all with him. Don't hold anything back. The greatest thing about that video that I saw is they did not count their life valuable as compared to Jesus Christ. They gave it all because he's worth it. And I want you to know him like that. So invest it all with him. Do not set your mind on earthly things, but set your mind on him. Let me tell you something, that moment when you enter eternity, two seconds, two seconds, two seconds, man, one second after you die, you will not care about anything else but how well you knew him. Did you spend time with him? I want to close with just a story about one of our own, a member right here at Northside. He's in the hospital. His health has been poor lately. I went to visit him. It's one of those visits you make where, you know, you're the one that's blessed, not the guy in the hospital bed. But there he's laying there, and this, this is what he told me. Steve, God has blessed me so much. It's like he keeps blessing me, and I can't turn this spigot off. The blessings just keep coming. Now, this man has a very small bank account. Drives an old pickup truck. He lives in a trailer park in a trailer home. And his health is declining. And how can he Say something like this in that condition? Because in this man's portfolio, the most important thing is that he knows Christ. And nothing else even compares to that. That's what I really, what I really want for you is that nothing for you would be more valuable than knowing Christ, knowing him personally, knowing him intimately, knowing him closely. And so I want to pray for you. And that'll be the end of our service. I'll say a few words and we'll close. But I want to pray for you right now. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know every single heart here this morning and everyone is important to you. Each one you love with an infinite love. But God, you know how it happens in this world. We get distracted just like Martha. We get busy just like her. And we forget what is the one thing that is most important. And God, I am praying for every person here. Open their eyes to see the value of knowing you, that knowing you would be so great that it would surpass the value of anything else on this earth. And they would fall completely, madly in love with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.